Hello everyone, how are you? Welcome back to the podcast, It Belongs to the People, the podcast where all the voices matter. In our program, we want to create a new form of doing journalism, one that is made by and for the people. In every episode, we receive different guests to share their stories, so we can mutually learn whilst we have a very intimate conversation. On today's episode, we are receiving a figure of light. Someone who, as she states, I use magic to empower myself and others. Through love and self-acceptance, doesn't matter the conditions you are being surrounded by. Soul is a drag queen, singer, writer, healer, and a fabulous witch. Apart from these amazing titles, I can confirm she's one of the best things that has happened to me since lockdown started. She showed me that the importance of love whilst being an advocate for social change, a change that must start within yourself. In our lovely talk, we are going to address Soul's experiences as a black, gender, non-binary person in the queer community, cherry-picked diversity in a corporate setting, growing up in Harlem, New York, and self-healing and much more. Settling everyone, let's get cracking. Hello, Soul. How are you? How are you dealing with the lockdown measures? I'm doing really well, Matt. Um, lockdown for me has been a process and has really allowed me to fortify and strengthen myself. I think because I've had the time to really sit and focus and ask myself what it is that I want, what makes me happy, how do I want to live my life, how do I want to um, move forward in situations, all of that because I've had the time and being locked down has allowed me to kind of see a path for myself. And so I'm just moving towards that with a lot of vigor, <laughs> letting go of everything else because It's actually just a distraction, I've realized. So, yeah, it's been, it's been great, actually. <laughs> I bet you miss performing as a drag, right? I do miss my performances. I do miss um, performing in drag. I feel like getting on stage and being out there with the people really allows me to uh, become in tune with the energies and also shift the energies. Every time I have a performance, I really focus on healing other people. And doing drag has really allowed me to do that, whether it's by making people laugh when they feel really sad or having a moment of like pause in a performance to kind of recenter and shift the energy to kind of doing like the opposite. Like when you're doing drag, you want to wow and you want to be like, bam, and, and all this excitement. But sometimes if you just get quiet, things come up. And so I like to weave that into my performances as well because it recenters the energy and recalibrates everything and then everyone kind of just like pulls up together and so i do miss i do miss performing live and doing drag and i know that there are avenues to perform virtually but i just kind of feel like for me my performance and when i do my drag art i want to be in front of the people you know so i've just i do miss it but i'm working on things just not performing so it's like really it's fun it's fun how did you stop performing as a drag queen Um, it's a really funny story. Uh, I had a colleague who's a dear friend. Uh, he was in a gay dodgeball league. His, uh, and his name is Adam. Shout out to Adam. Uh, and uh, he invited me to come and watch him play dodgeball. And, you know, when I was younger in the past, I got bullied a lot. And dodgeball was kind of like the venue for all of the bullying uh, to take a physical form. And I just really was a little apprehensive about going to see him play because I was feeling triggered and a lot of all, all of those old emotions that I thought I didn't even realize I still had surrounding dodgeball were still there. 
So I kind of sucked it up and I went and I watched like these really beautiful like people um, who were gay, you know, queer. Um, it was a pretty diverse group of people, not so much in diversity as in like people of color, but there were, there's LGBTQ, like all of that is represented there. And so that was really beautiful to be in that space with, with people like me and then seeing them get really fierce on the court. And, you know, I witnessed someone get hit in the face with a dodgeball, which kind of really triggered me because I've been hit in the face with dodgeballs as a kid. And um, just because all the boys knew I, something was different about me and even the, the gym teacher and they just, I felt like I was just being stoned. You know, I was on one side of the court and they were all on the other side of the court. And uh, when that person got hit in the face, like, the ref paused the game and the person that hit him like ran up and asked him if they're okay. And like took them off the court to go get an ice pack. And I was just like, wow, like this is really, really great. Like, and so in watching that, I felt like it was the start of healing of a pattern and a trauma for me. And uh, so then I joined and I started playing dodgeball on my own, realizing that like, I can do this too and I can recreate this pattern and I can heal it. And it won't be the same story that I used to know for myself and I, that I tell myself. And then, you know, meeting the people in dodgeball, you know, I was just being really out there. Like I was being very expressive about how I dressed, how I wanted to present on the court because I just felt like I was really comfortable. And, you know, one day after we played uh, a game, we did this thing called post plays where we go to a bar and we were going to pieces in um, the village of of New York City, in the the gay village. And I was just talking to my friends and I was like, I think I might want to do drag. And they were just like, you should do it. In particular, my friend Jacob, he was just like, you should do it. Like, you totally be good at that. And I was just like, yeah. And so we go into the bar and we get, we get there late. The bar is packed. And there is um, a drag queen there. And she's just like, you know, we're doing a, our amateur lip sync drag competition. Anybody that wants to enter, it's like open call. And my friend was like, she wants to enter. And I went and it was like, after that, I like cracked open. The first song that I did was Bodak Yellow by Cardi B. Um, which I love Cardi B so much. She's like amazing. And then after that, it was Lose My Breath by Destiny's Child. And, you know, from our conversations, you know that I love Beyonce. And so I had that in my back pocket. And then the last song was Everybody, Everybody that my sister and I really love to dance to and have a good time. We have, we hold that song really dear to us. And so I just kind of felt like it was just really weird that these random songs, which is all songs that meant so much to me. And I ended up winning. I ended up winning the amateur lip sync drag competition. And like, not that I didn't think that I wouldn't win, but I was just trying to prove to myself that I can get up there and perform again. Cause you know, I've been performing since I was a kid and it's just been a really long time since I've given myself the opportunity to be able to perform on stage. And so when I won, that was like a sign. And then from there, friends within the, you know, dodgeball league, one of my friends in particular, Jose, he started uh, a drag variety show, you know, with LGBTQ comedians and drag queens and created a home for us, called it Homecoming. You know, it was just like really, really beautiful. Like we can all come here and this is a safe space for us. And my first, my first time ever performing in drag back in like, I think 2018 or 2017. I can't remember exactly. It's been like two, three years since I've been doing drag. Uh, I performed Bodak Yellow and I did it in a, like a real real Caribbean feel and it was really amazing. And the way that the performance kind of played out, it was just like the universe was like, we got you. Like, you want to do it? You're going for it? We're going to go for it with you. And I made $430 in four minutes. It was like people showed up and showed out for me. And I felt so loved 
and so like supported. It was like it was the push that I needed. Yeah, I I have seen some videos of yours, and I can't help but smile all the time uncontrollably. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, like as I said, like I've been performing since I was little. I've been singing since before I could really speak. You know, I did. I've done a bunch of musicals in high school. I was in all the different choirs. I was, you know, in the rifle uh, squad. I was in the R not ROTC, but like color guard. And you know, I also did a little bit of cheerleading. It was just like all these things that I look back at my life and I tell myself, like, I was so like drawn to these things, and I didn't even realize why I was drawn to these things. And now that I sit back and I reflect, I'm like, wow, all of these things conditioned me to be able to be who I am now. And so um, I sit with that with such an attitude of gratitude and with the understanding that sometimes we're just divinely guided. And even though we, we don't even understand why we do things, it's because of what's in us and the divine in us being reflected back. And so, uh, you know, it's just been such a beautiful, beautiful journey. And I'm still on the journey, to just understanding how the, the type of drag that I want to do, you know, understanding that this is a process that is really, really personal. You know, like I can be and, and push out the image of this of this drag persona that I want to be. And quite honestly, like in me finding soul and being soul, becoming soul as a drag queen, I feel like soul I've always had within me. And it was just like a reintroduction into to myself. Like this is who you are. Embrace it. And I feel like since I've embraced that, my life has just been so amazing. So as we talked previously, I invited you to come over so we could have a chat about your experience as a, as a non-binary person of color, cherry-picked diversity and, and intersectionality when it comes to your identity and etc. So let's start off with a very broad question. Regarding your sexual identity, would you please explain to our listeners what does gender non-binary means, please? For me, I'm still learning what that means for me. By definition, it's a person who doesn't want to conform to the male or female you know, presentation. I, for me, learning that I was a gender non-binary person three years ago really allowed me to understand why I felt the way that I've been feeling my whole life. For me, it's not about putting myself in a box. For me, my gender non-binary identity has freed me. You know, I am anatomically male and, you know, I've, I've grown to understand that I'm also a pansexual person, which not understanding that, you know, sexuality was fluid when I was younger, just thinking I had to choose one thing, be in one box so that people could either accept me or understand me. When in reality, like I don't fit in any box. I determine whatever the box is and I just decide not to, not to put myself in that. So for me, my gender non-binary identity is something that is still uh, transforming and it's revealing itself to me. But when I go out into the world, I present myself the way that I want the world to see me. And it's really not up, to, not up to the world to understand it, but it's up to the world to respect it. And I do it with such passion and with such determination to just like represent myself because I feel when I was younger, I never got to really see people like me. Yeah, it's just been such a, a, gorgeous, a gorgeous journey. I feel like I'm unfurling every day. Was it a difficult process or not? I mean, yeah, it is definitely a difficult process. You know, not only am I African-American, but I'm also Puerto Rican. And, you know, being gay is already, like, very taboo in the Black and, you know, Latino culture. But also being, like, 
I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a trans person, but because gender non-binary falls in, under that umbrella, I feel privileged to, to say that I'm trans, but I don't want people to hear that and think that I'm trying to take away or put myself into the company of trans people who are really fighting to really be their authentic selves, whether that is by doing gender reassignment surgery or taking hormones. Like, you know, like I feel privileged that my identity falls under the trans umbrella because trans, queer, black and brown people are the reason why we all have pride. So I feel blessed to have that halo effect. But for me, for me, it was really difficult to accept my identity because I didn't even understand what it was. And, you know, growing up in, as I mentioned before, like black and Spanish household, like on my, on my father's side, who's Puerto Rican, like that is like very machismo energy that is always surrounding you, you know? And we lived in the hood of New York city in Harlem. Like I'm from born and raised in Harlem. So Back then, in the 90s, there was gang violence, there was shootings. I've seen horrific things as a child that you should never really see. So coming to terms with the understanding that being and feeling the way that I feel, even though back then I didn't really have words, I just knew by the looks of people, the things that were really not said, you know, the unspoken things, the energy that's sent towards you if you bend your wrist a little bit or if you kind of like you know act a little feminine like I got it I understood that like that was not allowed um and then on my like you know my black side of the family just dealing with feeling like something is wrong with me because of how religion played in demeaning me in my life you know like having you know very religious matriarchs in the family not so much my mom but more like my grandmother and just like trying to understand like I went to church I was I stayed in church with my grandmother so I learned from a very young age what was right and what was wrong and man and woman was right and anything else after that was wrong and so it was something that I had to really fight to accept because I felt like I would never I would lose everything you know Mm -hmm. and so it manifested in, in ways like so because I knew that I couldn't be feminine just me, I would do plays where I could play more of an effeminate character or I would sing the fem- the women's part and, and you know in choir because my voice was really, really high and I would feel like I belonged to that female uh, identity, you know, trying to honor that divine feminine within me and just realizing that like my parents didn't even grow up in that generation where trying to balance masculine and feminine energy was something that was ever talked about. They were trying to survive and they were black and brown people in like a time where there was drugs running rampant in our environment and a lot of stressors and a lot of disrespect towards our community, not the LGBT community, but black and brown people. And then adding all of that, it just felt like I have to stay away from this, you know? Yeah, because it didn't want to cause more quote unquote trouble for them. I didn't want to lose my family. Mm-hmm. I like really love my dad and my mom. Like I, I love my, like I was very close with my dad. My mom and I are best friends now. But when I was younger, I really, I want to, I wanted to be my dad. My dad was my hero. And my dad was not a gay person. He was not a, a, a queer person. He was not a feminine person. And so for me, I felt like I felt betrayed by myself because even though I was trying to be palatable, be acceptable, inside of me was still fighting to come out and it would come out with, with or without my control, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kind of felt like after a while, I had to just accept this about myself. 
Um, you doubled previously about your experience as a black person and also being a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. But I would love to go in depth on the topic. How both parts of your life interact with each other? Man. <laughs> <laughs> man, oh man. Pre it prepare, has been... prepare the monologue. <laughs> yeah, prepare the monologue, right? Like uh, being black in itself is exhausting. Mm -hmm. It is exhausting. It is one of the most beautiful identities and yet it is disrespected and whitewashed and disregarded on countless occasions in history, in fashion, in music, and then being gay. Being gay for me is light. Being a queer person is light. And being black for me is strength. I mm -hmm. come from fighters and survivors, right? My mom, born and raised in the South in Alabama, like real stuff that people are going through down there. I can't even imagine the things that she witnessed as a child. And so growing up, we were really, even, even more so by my dad, my dad understanding that he's a Puerto Rican man, but his son looks, is, a black, is a black child. Like my, I am a dark-skinned person. The world is going to see me as a black person, a black man. My father really worked very hard to put the idea in our head that being black was fucking beautiful and it was powerful. My dad had a bunch of black friends. My dad had, um, he knew about black history and he would teach us. He would teach me directly before I would go to school. So I would know my history before I went to school and learn the lies, you know? So for me, like, yeah, it's been, it's been such a, a crazy, a crazy symbi symbio symbiotic like feeling like that I'm black and I'm also queer and this is me. I wear it as a badge of honor, but when I go out into the world, right? They see that I am also queer and I'm also black because of how I present to the world. I wear women's clothing. I have, I wear wigs, I wear makeup and I wear heels out. Like that is me. So understanding those parts of myself and then putting that out for the world, not for the world to like, to talk about, not for the world to comment on, but just by being me and me going out into the world and people witnessing that, that has been super hard, super hard for me. I just feel like right now with the whole Black Trans Black Lives Matter movement, it's been really hard for Black and Brown trans and queer people because I feel like we're kind of written out of that movement. But at the core of it, we're still Black and we still get killed. We still get disregarded. We still get hurt. We still, and even with, with even more vigor from in hatred because we are different. Like Black trans women die every day. At, unprecedented, at unprecedented rates and people just don't care about it because they don't see value in us and then it hurts being black and then your own community not seeing value in you not understanding that you also matter in this that you're part of this movement and that we also need to protect you that has been something that's been very eye-opening to witness currently in this current events and also something that has rededicated allowed me to rededicate myself to being me 100% of the time, because I'm out there, I'm a light warrior. I'm out there trying to change the world and heal the world. And if it takes me being in front of a person that doesn't understand who I am, and then we strike up a conversation and I can explain, that is a catalyst. It will continue to just move down the line and more and more growth will, will happen. So for me, that's kind of what it's been for me in, in mm -hmm. terms of marrying and understanding my identity as being a black person 
and as a queer person, gender non-binary person, it's, yeah, it's hard, but like black people don't really have the ability to stop and pause, you know? Right now we out here fighting for everybody because what you do for a black woman, you do for everybody. What you do for a black trans woman, you do for everybody. Yeah, I've just been out here just trying to fight, just trying to fight and fight in a way that is authentic for me, that is healing because you can fight without causing violence, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to fight. I'm trying to dismantle this white supremacist culture, this homophobic culture, this transphobic culture, and really show people that I fucking matter to and people like me matter to, you know? Sorry for cursing. <laughs> no, no, that, that's completely fine. You can say whatever you want here. Um, in the article you wrote for the peak grant making, which I will leave the link below for everyone who wants to read it, you wrote about your experience in a corporate setting as a gender non-binary person. You wrote, open quote, philanthropy, even in, even in organizations that value diversity, equity and inclusion, is filled to the brim with cisgendered white people. The leadership likely looks nothing like you, and they most certainly don't identify the way you do. So when you enter the organization, the feeling of othering is immediate, unquote. Um, is this feeling of othering and estrangement also present within the, the queer community for you? Do you, do you feel you belong? I belong because I belong to myself, right? In terms of my community, I don't always feel like I belong. Around queer people, I do feel like I belong. But, uh, you know, around gay cisgender people, sometimes it feels as if they don't hold space for me. And I can only speak from my experience. Going to gay parties and being a gender non-binary queer person and just being me and then getting stared at, people making faces, wondering, even being asked, why are you here, you know? Really? Yeah, yeah, like, oh, this party isn't for you, honey. And I'm, like, dealing with, you know, and then dealing with that and feeling like, wait. What do you, you know, say when someone says that to you? Because I will lose my temper. We are, like, we are part of the same community. We have to endure discrimination because we are both, because we both have sexual identities that do not match with traditional views. So why why would you create even more division between us? But that's the thing, right? It's like, I talk with my best friend about like the Adonis effect and this ideology that a body type and, a, and, a, and a, an archetype of, of a man, a gay man, has to look like that. And that is the only socially acceptable, you know, image, right? Mm-hmm. And that typically is a cisgendered gay white man. I am not cisgendered. I mean, I am technically cisgendered because I'm anatomically male, but when I present to the world, I am a gender non-binary person. And then I'm black. And then I'm fat. <laughs> it's like it's like I don't look anything like that, but I'm beautiful too. And people like me are beautiful too. And we need to understand that when people like that don't hold space for us, we hold space for ourselves. I exist I exist in every situation, every place I go. When I walk into a room, I bring me. And I'm, and, I, and I'm a catalyst of change. I, I shift the energy. A lot of times people who don't even accept queer people, they love me. And it baffles my mind. It baffles my mind. But it makes, it gives me hope because it's just like ignorance and they just need to be educated. And, you know, for me, othering happens in every part of my life. When I go to work, when I get on the train to go to work, when I leave my apartment to go to work, when I go to grab my lunch, It's like I constantly feel othered and ostracized, but 
and feeling all of that, I've found that I don't need to exist in those places. But if I want to, I can. And I have the right to. I don't shy away from that stuff, you know? And to answer your question before, previously, when that person said, honey, this is, oh, this party isn't for you. I, I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I know it was along the lines of, I'm, as, I'm allowed to be here as much as you are. And then I walked away. And I carry that, I carry that in me. Like I, my father has always taught me better. He's always said, better than you is God. And that is it. Whether or not you believe in God or higher power, there is no one else better than you than that higher power. Because at the end of the day, we are all the same. You cut me, I bleed. I'll scab over. You cut me again, and I'll bleed, and I'll scab over just like you. Um, and it's understanding that in our community, we're already scarred. But the thing that frustrates me the most, especially in the LGBTQIA community, is that when it comes to Black and Brown trans people, we are, our culture is colonized within our own community. And then we are fundamentally erased from the contributions in which we have made for this community and for this world. Yeah, just like we talked before this interview, Black people are only accepted in the queer community if it is for the sexual fulfillment of white queer people. And we see Black people, we, I mean, because I'm white, but not that I identify with this idea, but we see Black people as an object of pleasure, not as individuals and as you said you so don't fit the stereotype of of the black hunk male yeah i totally agree with you and i would also go as far to say that black cisgendered pe people are very much so objectified and seen as more important their bodies are more important their identities are more important than black and brown trans and queer people However, we are also, black and, black and brown trans people are also sex workers because they have to make a living for themselves because their families put them out and they become homeless. We get objectified in that sense that we, our bodies are only important to be used by someone else. Someone else who doesn't even consider themselves to be part of our community most of the time. Real insidious dark, deep feelings in cisgender, straight-acting people, mostly males, in my opinion, who have sex with trans women and then kill them. Like, this is not something that is new, right? It's, like, socially acceptable, in a sense, right? And it baffles me how this is not important enough for our community to fight for. And when When a white, cisgender, queer, gay person says to me that I don't belong here, that that is not the party that I belong in, that makes me want to be there much more. Because I'm going to prove to you. Because I'm going to be the one in the middle of the dance floor, dancing and spreading my light and making all of you upset. Because I know that I deserve to be here, just like you deserve to be here. And unfortunately, especially in terms of gay pride, you know, that is also very whitewashed. And it's like, we don't even have a space for us to exist, you know? Aside from the peers, like the peers in, in New York City, like that is like black and brown, queer, trans, like that is our domain. We love the peers. You go to the peers and you'll see people voguing. You'll see beautiful women, beautiful, beautiful men, trans men, trans women, like living their best life. But it's like whenever gay pride happens, we want to go to an event and it's all white, cisgender, gay people. And then we just feel othered. And it's just like, well, what the hell is that? 
I'm gay and I got pride too. Like I'm, I'm part of that flag too. Like, what do you mean? My experiences being in this community are important as well. So I deserve to be able to delight in the experiences and the parties that, that bring me joy. But then you tell me that I don't belong there. That doesn't really make any sense to me. It's offensive. It's fucked up. And again, trans people have it worse. We are marginalized already for being black. I'm marginalized already for being black, for being fat, right? Then for being gay. Just more indicators and more, more titles and things that just, just completely isolate me more and more and more. And yet, I'm, I, don't, I don't belong. I belong, I belong as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I go, uh, through, I go through more shit, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, and I think there is this psychological aspect to this discussion. White queer people would do that to black queer people because the former wants, wants to be approved to fitting with the class of the most powerful group in our society which is the white, rich, upper echelon people, which also negates spaces for black people to advance in society. And this, this needs to be, and this needs to belong, to be powerful, to, to feel and to be like norm is what makes white, it's what makes white cisgender queer people negate black queer people into this narrative of proud spaces, I think. And I agree, you know, gay pride aside, when I want to go to a gay club in Hell's Kitchen, I know that it's only going to be white people there. Like the majority will be gay white people there, gay cisgender white people. And um, often in those spaces, I'm, I, I, can, I can say often I am celebrated by a few, but then that comes from a place of, they see my gender non-binary identity as drag or they, or they know that I'm a drag queen. And then when I'm just out in my normal, my normal drag, because you know, we all are born naked and the rest is drag, right? Um, I'm in my normal getup. I'm just out being me, doing me. Right. And then yes, queen. Yes. You look great. And then they want to touch your hair. You know, it's just like, it's just like a lot. It's like a constant, um, picking and prodding and like microaggressions that we have to go through within an already marginalized community. And quite often, you know, as I mentioned before, the Adonis effect, people, people understand that cisgendered white gay people are it and they align themselves with that. And you know, that is okay for them. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't really make it wrong. Right. But it, where it goes wrong for me is when, queer people come into those spaces and then everybody kind of like pulls away and you can kind of see it happening. Like I've walked into clubs and bars and I could just kind of see like the parting and everybody starts turning and looking like, who the fuck is that? And then like people just kind of like, Oh, okay. It's either, it's either cause I'm gender non-binary. I'm in women's clothing or because I'm fat, you know, like it's one or the other. Because being fat phobic is very prevalent in the in the gay community, extremely prevalent, and it's it's the most annoying thing in my life. Being told that I think you're so attractive, but I don't. I'm not sexually attracted to you. 
you know, like, I don't understand what that even means. Like, if you're attracted to me, get to know me. Because you're going to fall in love when you really get to see who, who I am inside. Because there's a huge heart and a big light. But okay. You're attracted to me, but you but not sexually attracted? Cool, that's on you. I'll talk to you later. Um, we have seen lately a huge embrace of buzzwords in the different parts of our society, such as the promotion of diversity, which in some way is really positive. But on the other side, we can also see the, this, this concept of cherry-picked cherry diversity, which we see in like advertisements, magazines, and whatever, that, that the person representing the that the person representing the LGBTQIA plus community is always the white, ripped, hypersexualized gay man. And about these beauty standards in, in our community, what is your experience in this aspect and what what's your take on cherry picked diversity? In terms of working in a corporate nonprofit space, for me, my experience is often in terms of DEI, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? having a culture like that. A lot of organizations, a lot of employers stop at the D, diversity. They think hiring one black person, one Spanish person, one person of color is diversity. And yet the leadership and the, and the people that govern that organization or those spaces don't put things in place, practices in place, culture in place, to allow for those people that they've literally hired to work in those organizations and be in those spaces to progress, feel safe, feel, feel included. They don't do it, whether it's by not getting paid the same amount of money that somebody else in your position got paid, whether or not it's having a, a culture of accountability, as I mentioned, whether it's um, creating a space or just saying like, hey, we don't know how to do this. Can we, can we try and reach this thing together? Can we work towards this together? Oftentimes, it's daunting to employers because they don't want to fuck it up. But that fear and not wanting to do it is privileged because they're, they have the ability to be fearful and not do it because their lives are not going to change. But my life, my, my trans life, my gender non-binary life, my black life, right, it still goes on. And whether or not I leave a space, I don't want to leave that space the same way that I went into it. I want to make it a better place. And sometimes it's not always easy. So it's just like having, having cherry-picked diversity in any situation, it just kind of feels like a smack in the face. It's like we're going to do just a little just so we can't be called a racist, a transphobe, a homophobe, so that people don't boycott us, don't cancel us. Yeah, and... And it's something that has gained prominence since the Black Lives Matter movement rose once again this year. And different sectors of our society have been doing this performative type of diversity just so they won't be criticized by the masses. Yeah, it's like it's like even to go as far as like seeing my own white gay friends who just put up a black square for Blackout Tuesday and then their stories are them going to Fire Island and like getting drunk and going to circuit parties like that's cool that's your life like you have the ability to do whatever you want but like if you see value in our bodies if you see value in our culture if you see value in our fashion and what we bring to the table then fucking fight for us 
fight alongside us. Fight for us when we're not around you. Fight for us when our backs are turned to you. That suspicion, I'm like that word suspicion, it just keeps coming back to me. That's just like what what you feel as a black person when you get around a white person. It's like, am I gonna have to teach this person about how to respect me? Am I gonna have to reintroduce myself to a person? Because in my op-ed piece that I wrote, it's I talked about like having to constantly just tell people, this is who I am. I know that I have a beard, I know that I'm six four. And I have the body of, a, of an NFL player. But my pronouns are she, and I'm wearing a dress. I don't understand how that is hard for you to understand. And if you don't, if you don't want to say she, if that's not the thing that comes to your mind, then just say my name and put some respect on it when you do, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, it's very simple. But it seems like everybody wants to make it hard. And they don't need to. Honestly and truly, they don't. They really don't. And by they, I mean anybody that doesn't fight to include people who are different from them, fight to understand their experiences, to pluck morsels and gems so that they can do better. They don't pluck those things. They just pluck culture and they're like, oh, this is cute. I'm going to do this dance move. I'm going to do this savage challenge. I'm going to get all these, these views and these likes. But like, I don't really care about black people. I don't got no black friends. I'm not dating a black person. Maybe I'll, I'll have sex with a black person, but I'll never marry a black person. This is just for fun right now. Their bodies are for fun. Their bodies are for my pleasure, but not for my respect. That's what it feels like to be a black person. And then to stretch out even farther to be a queer black person, it's like people really don't care about you. They just care about what you can do for them, honestly. And it's a really sad and very frustrating thing to be the person that you're that's being taken advantage of and like feeling like that it is and them telling you, no, it's not that. And then feigning like they care and them doing and people doing things to seem like they're quote unquote woke. <laughs> I, I hate that word. <laughs> that word in itself is co- like literally like I, w- I won't go on a rant, but black Twitter used to talk about woke. And then all of a sudden it got grabbed by the white masses. And now everybody's like, you got to be more woke. It's like, what the fuck does that even mean? I've been awake since I came out of this out of my mother's womb. Why are you still walking and sleepwalking in this world that you created to really not care about people like me? Like you need to wake up. You need to wake up, literally, because I've been awake. <laughs> That's mm. what it feels like, you know. Why do you think a white hunk male is the one to be picked to represent the LGBTQIA plus community? Being a gay person and being feminine has always made me feel like I'd never had access to masculinity. Mm. And, and not having access to masculinity, I would align myself with masculine counterparts, whether in love or friendships, to kind of become a silent view, a viewer to understand how they differ from me. Or love someone and, be, and have a physical connection with someone who's masculine, And, and feel like I have access to that. I now know better and understand that I was born into this masculine body and that will always be, that will always be, right? But finding the balance of my divine feminine and my divine masculine is something that I think a lot of men need to do. A lot of men are roaming through this world and they don't love themselves. They don't. They love that people love them, but they don't love them. And so they continue to perpetuate 
this culture of pain and regret and and loneliness. Yeah, and and it goes beyond the sexual identity, right? Because it doesn't matter whether you are straight, gay, bi, trans, or whatever, at the end of the run, at the end of the day, you are expected to, to conform to the idea of what it means to be a man, of what it means to be a man, and you also create within yourself this preconceived idea of what masculinity is. Yeah, and to be a man is not to be emotional. To be a man is to be about action, to be about doing things and not getting caught up in the quote-unquote like bullshit and the bullshit is the stuff that they need to get caught up in the bullshit is the emotion the emotion that they run from the emotions that they tell themselves is 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 gay or feminine like that's not me that's weak that's all a lie we are human beings so i don't intend to veer the, the conversation to other topic and ignore the importance of what we've talked so far but how can you stay so positive and literally, as, you are, as your own name suggests, be such a beacon of warm sunlight? And for those that don't get it, soul in English means sun. <laughs> That's why I'm here. If no one else is going to do it, then it, it will be me. That is why I'm here. That is why my name is Soul. My last name is Solar, which means the sun. It's no coincidence why I was born into this world with the name Darius, that means kingly, and solar, which means sun. To only be born into this male body and understand that I am also a feminine spirit. I have a feminine spirit and I don't have to choose. I can live my life and be and present to the world how I want to be and be authentic to my feelings and myself, right? But understanding that that is why I'm here. That is why I'm here. And it's been revealing itself to me. You know, I uh, I know I did this last time to you, and this is not about you. I was just asking. I asked the universe, and I asked spirit. I pulled some cards, and I was asking, like, mm -hmm. what is it that I need to talk about? And it's just, I pulled them, and I set them aside, and I'm looking at them now, and it's just like, it's safe for you to love yourself, right? Open your heart and give and receive the highest energy of all. Like, if you want something in your life, you have to give it to yourself because everybody is centered on themselves my best friend was like i was like i feel so selfish and he's like sister sister you're not selfish you're centered on yourself you're understanding who you are and that is something that we all have to do and understanding that we need to open our heart up to love loving ourselves, becoming the love that we want in our life right mm -hmm. also too romantic feelings your feelings are real and worth exploring with yourself if you feel like you are X, then you are X. Explore that and learn why you feel that way. And also, you deserve love. You are lovable. It's been so much love coming up in my readings, right? So much love. This idea of radical acceptance, radical self-love, radical authenticity. I need to master that. And I'm getting so much closer to mastering that every day, you know? And that is why I, I have this energy around me. I can tell you honestly, Matt, in the past, I was not this person, but I am no longer that person. I am this person. This is who I am. And I feel like it's hard for when I get around family or friends and they just kind of want to put me back in the box of who they thought I was, you know? And it's like, no, no, I understand that you think that, 
but I'm going to, I have to show you that that's not the case anymore. And if you refuse to accept it, that's okay. I accept it, you know, in terms of my pronouns changing. Like I, I try not to get upset. You know, I try to understand, like, I got a beard. I'm a big, I'm a big person. I'm a big, like, I have, I'm anatomically male. People are going to fuck up my pronouns when they see me. They're going to see Darius and think it's a, it's a man. And that's just, that's just what people do, right? But then they meet me and then they'll see me. But it's just like being open and understanding that people sometimes need to be taught. So getting upset and fighting with them and making them feel bad literally is a distraction from the lesson that they need to learn and a lesson that only people like me can teach them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's just, you know, I just, I, you know, I, I've just been on my, like, I've been literally oh my on God. my whole thing. I've been on this spiritual quick understanding, you know, I literally have all the tools to fashion my life and the life that I want to create. So do you right? So does everyone that's listening to this and all the people that aren't listening to this. We all have the tools and we are all able to be the magician in our life. But so often we look for the magician outside of ourselves and that's where we falter. Because in reality, no one is going to fight for you, advocate for you, love you and respect you better than you. And that's something that we all have to remember. And that is what I'm trying to do. And that is why I radiate with such an energy and with such a light and I smile, like I'm always smiling. I'm always like, I go out of my way to compliment people, even if they don't want to accept it. I compliment straight men all the time. Like, yo, you are really handsome. I just want to tell you that I think you're beautiful. Or I see a girl walking down the street like, yes, girl, them curls is popping, curl gang. Like, that's what I do. I've always been that way. But I used to be afraid to do that because I was afraid that people wouldn't accept me. Now I'm no longer afraid. Now I'm giving that love because that love needs to be given to people. People don't feel loved. People don't love themselves. I do, so I have enough love to give. I keep listening to you to speak all day long. <laughs> oh my. So thank you so much for coming over. I wish we could talk more, but we would have to take a freaking whole day. So thank you so much. I have no idea how this means so much to me. I hope that this was what you wanted it to be. It feels like it is exactly what it needed to be. And I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share my story. I want to thank you for giving um, a platform for my voice to be heard and for amplifying my identity and uplifting that because this is really, really beautiful work that you're doing. And if no one has told you that, I want to tell you that personally. And I want you to sit with that and understand that you're doing amazing work And uh, just leave you with, with these words. Sometimes we don't understand how we impact people. We impact people just by going out to the store, going to work. And I just want you to remember that continue to be radically you and authentically you because you have a major impact on this world and you haven't seen it yet. But it's, it's going to be revealed to you very soon. Oh, so thank you so much. Thanks so much, my love. You have also impacted my life. Thank you. As have you. You're a beautiful soul. But well, we ended at 444, which is all about structure and balance. So I <laughs> Yeah. Well, I know I have got the tendency to wrap up our episodes with some reflexive and mush way. 
But for today, nothing, just nothing can beat Soul's monologue. Sister is theoretically perfect with words, so to say. So if you enjoyed today's episode of our program, I'll be delighted if you could please subscribe, review and share it with your friends. It might help other people to know that the voices are valid to be told. If you want to make a suggestion of topic or interviews to be invited to our program, reach out to the email m-a-t-t-h-a-a-l-o-p-e-s at taolook.com or simply hit me up on Instagram at l-o-o-n-y-m-a-t-t, Lunimat. I'm eager to know what you guys think. I'm your host, Matt Lopez, and this was another episode of It Belongs to the People, the podcast where all the voices matter. Bye-bye, everyone. Take care.